good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Philippians chapter 1 and the verse number 27, the Word of God says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. But ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to your salvation and that of God. And for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on his name, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Amen. May God bless his word to your hearts this evening. The 4th of July, of course, is a time in this nation that marks independence, or at least the declaration of independence from British monarchical rule. Uh, as I speak as a citizen of the United Kingdom, it is not my desire to give a history lesson regarding your own history. But as a pastor of God's people, I do have the right and the responsibility uh, to speak and to bring the Word of God to bear upon every turn of life. We believe that the Word of God is sufficient. It's sufficient as a rule of faith and practice. And therefore, the Word of God must be seen as sufficient to bring a word to your hearts, even at a time of national holiday and national celebration. Uh, coming into this country just over two years ago now, I certainly was struck by a level of patriotic fervor and loyalty that I hadn't encountered before. Proud to be an American. America, the beautiful, all of these, uh, these themes and this content that comes, particularly this time of year, but of course, uh, not only exclusively this time of year. And the patriotic fervor that is seen in the honor and respect that you give to those who willingly serve in the armed services. And you see the high level of volunteer service as those would seek to serve country. It is indeed remarkable. Conservatives, of course, I'm speaking politically, they desire the literal upholding of the founding constitution, believing that it represents the best of the American ideals. And such honorable patriotism is not incompatible with biblical Christianity. Yes, we remember that heaven is our home. We understand that we are citizens of Christ's kingdom. But we do not draw from that the understanding that it is wrong to have a concern regarding our own nation. Patriotism is not incompatible with biblical Christianity. We are pilgrims here. But as we live here, we have the rights and the responsibility to behave properly as citizens of our land. The question is, how do we do this? And the first thing I want to think with you this evening is I want to look at the, the principle that governs patriotism. And commentators uh, writing on the subject of the church in Philippi uh, make the point that it was a proud Roman colony. It was one of those outlying cities of Rome that had the status of being a, a Roman colony, and those who lived there were known as Roman citizens. 
And the commentators observed that the Philippian believers, they, they would have had a loyalty and a, a pride in their Roman citizenship. And Paul addresses that concept on a few occasions in this letter. We find it here in the verse number 27 in the use of the word conversation. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. If we're going to understand verse number 27 in that first part, there are two words that we must give consideration to. The one is the word conversation and the second is the word becometh. There is some measure of debate regarding the translation of this word conversation in verse number 27. And just for a start, it is not referring to speech. It's not referring to your conversation that may take place between two people. What makes this interesting in terms of our authorized version is that there's a different Greek word translated 13 times with the word conversation. So sometimes you will read the word conversation in your authorized version. It's translating one Greek word, and other times, like here, it is translating a different Greek word. The other word is used in James chapter 3, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. There, of course, the word conversation is referring to a manner of living, referring to lifestyle and to conduct. The exact word that's used here in Philippians chapter 1 is used in only one other place, and we'll turn there very briefly. But... It is a word that comes from a word for citizen. The related word is used in Acts 21, verse 39. I am a man which am a Jew of Tarshish, a city in Cilicia, a citizen, there's the word, a citizen of no mean city. And the same group of words is used in Ephesians chapter 2 in the verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. The same root word that's used. And the word used here in Philippians chapter 1 is the word that we get our word political from. The connected word is used over in chapter 3 in the verse number 20. Where the word of God says, for our conversation is in heaven. And that word, again, is referring to the concept of citizenship. And so you have these words. And the word here in Philippians chapter 1 is then translated with this word, conversation, again. Well, let me suggest to you the word, the word is translated as it is by our translators because they understand that the word does speak regarding conduct. But it carries with it another level of understanding beyond the other word that is used for conversation. And this word here speaks not only of our conduct, but in particular of our conduct as a citizen. As an earthly citizen. The word is speaking of living as a citizen in this world. We might use the term living as a law-abiding citizen. You see, look at how the word is used in that other place. It is Acts chapter 23. Turn back there, please. Acts chapter 23. And Paul is before the, the council. He is, again, being charged uh, for his uh, preaching of the gospel. And in Acts chapter 23, in the verse number 1, Paul defends himself. And he earnestly beholds the council and says, Men and brethren... 
I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this, until this day. And the word lived is the same word that is translated conversation in Philippians chapter 1 and the verse number 27. And so it makes sense. Paul is describing, I have lived, if you like, I have been a law-abiding citizen before God unto this day. And I'm just saying, the, the accusations against him do not hold water against the law, even off the lands that he's labored in. He has lived according to the laws of the land. He has not been guilty of rebellion and sedition as he's accused. So you see, immediately this, uh, this word has a, has a depth of meaning that goes beyond simply our conduct, but rather speaks of our conduct in relation to our duties and responsibilities as citizens of an earthly realm, whatever that realm might be. Whether it be Rome, whether it be America, whether it be the United Kingdom, whatever it is. There is an obligation placed upon the child of God that they live as an earthly citizen in a particular fashion. And that leads on to the second word in verse number 27 that demands our attention, and that is the word becometh. Paul is addressing Philippians who were proud of their Roman citizenship. And thus this word would, would have resonated in their consciences. But Paul says, as you live as citizens, the standard that is set is higher than the law of the land. The standard is to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We may live according to the regulations and the law of a land, but is our living, is it worthy of the gospel? And so our patriotism, in whatever form it takes, it must be a patriotism that is governed by the gospel. But if we are to understand this word becometh, we must, uh, we must again seek to engage in, in some manner of a word study regarding this particular word. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. The word often has the concept of worthy, worthy of the gospel of Christ. So we're looking at this word becometh. If we are to live patriotically, if we're to live as citizens in this earth, and that citizenship is governed by the gospel, well, what does it mean then to live as becometh the gospel? Well, Romans 16 and the verse number 2, and there's instruction given by Paul regarding Phoebe, uh, the sister, and it says in verse number 2, that you receive her in the Lord as becometh saints. So the, the debate here, the issue at stake is, does the word becometh, having this root meaning of being worthy, does that root word mean that you live in a certain way whereby you then earn the benefits of the gospel? Well, immediately you see that it can't mean that. They, they are not to receive Phoebe so that they become saints. Rather, they are to receive Phoebe because they are saints. And as saints in the kingdom of Christ, there is that mutual brotherly love. And therefore, rather than disregarding Phoebe, they are to receive her and they are to assist her in whatsoever business she has need of you. So that understanding of the word is confirmed again in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and the verse number 1 where it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And the word here again is used, this time translated with that word worthy. 
becometh, Philippians chapter 1, becometh, Romans 16, but here in Ephesians chapter 4, the word is translated with the word worthy. But again, note the grammar. Paul is not saying that you walk worthy so that you will be called, but rather that you walk worthy because you have been called. Your walk is in light of what you've experienced. You've been called unto the gospel, therefore walk worthy. And he continues, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. And then one last reference, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and this is perhaps the clearest of all regarding the meaning of this word becometh. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and the verse number 9, it says, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So, here's the word becometh again. The same word that's used in these other references is here used. Now, clearly, clearly it is not suggesting that they behave in such a way so that they become women. Rather, because they're women who are professing godliness, they therefore adorn their profession with these good works. So, in all of the references, what you see is that who you are affects what you do. Who you are affects how you conduct yourselves. Who you are affects how you think. All of these things are seen in the use of this word becometh. And so back to Philippians chapter 1, where Paul says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And what he's saying is, as you live in this world, the gospel affects everything. The gospel affects how you live with your feet on the ground. There is. There is no such thing as someone being so heavenly minded to be of no earthly use. The most heavenly minded understand that they have the responsibility to be the most earthly use. And as they live as citizens, that citizenship is governed by the gospel of Christ. And so you think of the gospel. How does the gospel impact your lives? Well, the gospel is marked by grace. And therefore, you must show grace to others. The gospel is marked by truth. Therefore, you must live according to truth. The gospel bridges works, changes lives. Thus, we show that in our lives. Those are just some ideas regarding how the gospel impacts our citizenship. My suggestion to tonight is that in this use of the word conversation, uh, this concept of living as a citizen, Paul is not condemning patriotism. I'm not suggesting it's wrong to have a pride in your country and a burden for your country, but he's reinforcing the principle that your patriotism is governed by a higher principle. The gospel, the truth of the Word of God, that is what governs your actions and your lives as a citizen of this realm. And so there's a principle that governs our patriotism. And the second place in, there is a practice of this gospel patriotism. Because Paul goes on to define in detail what it means for them to live as gospel heavenly citizens. And so he says in verse number 27, Only let your conversation be as it become of the gospel of Christ. And then I'm going to skip the bit in the middle. And he says, That ye stand fast. In one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Here's a detail. 
If you're going to have a citizenship that is becoming of the gospel, then you will stand fast. That ye stand fast. Outside of the word of God, this word is used of the soldier. Standing resolute in post. It means not to draw back. It means to hold ground. It means to, to persevere. Ultimately, it refers to our loyalty to Christ. Stand fast as a soldier of the King. Stand fast in your loyalty to your King Jesus and that you will not, you will not lose ground for the gospel, but rather you're going to stand. Such a stand is only possible through union with Christ Jesus. Chapter 4 of Philippians, in the verse number 1, Paul says, So stand fast in the Lord. Outside union with Christ, there can be no such stand. But in the power of Christ, we can stand for the gospel. It clearly implies the warning against turning back on the gospel. Paul used it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in the verse number 15, where he says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast. And hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Hold. Stand fast and hold the traditions. Not the church traditions, but the word of God. That's the word being used here. The traditions that they've been taught, the apostolic word. Standing firm in the gospel. Patriotism must never cause the believer to deny the truth of the gospel. Loyalty to a realm, and again, I'm, I'm being much more broad than America, but loyalty to a realm must never cause the believer to lose out with Christ. But rather, as they are loyal to Christ, they will then be the very best of earthly citizens. Those who are most loyal to Christ will be the most upright in terms of their earthly citizenship. And so, as Paul is speaking to the local church, he notes that there are four marks of such a stand. Note the four marks. There is unity. There is stand fast in one spirit with one mind. The early believers in Acts chapter 4 are described of those of one heart and one soul. This unity for the promotion of the gospel. Unity, of course, is a major theme in this book of Philippians. But something we should note is that when Paul is speaking about the striving together for the faith of the gospel and the unity in verse number 27, he doesn't leave that theme all the way through chapter 2. Sometimes we, we break up the book artificially. You will note the theme of unity in verse 27 of chapter 1. Look in your Bibles. Stand fast in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then you go on through, down to the verse number 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Do you see this? There's a, there's a real connection of themes here. Unity for the gospel. In the context of citizenship, in the context of living in a crooked and perverse nation, you are to hold forth the word of truth, or the word of life, verse 16 of chapter 2. So you see, there is the grinding of the church in the world. They live in this world. There's the obligation that they stand for the faith of the gospel. 
And that requires unity. No murmurings, no disputings, one spirit, one mind. And so what happens between chapter 1, verse 27, and chapter 2, verse 15, is Paul explaining that unity comes through humility. And Christ is the prime example. And so you see this, that if we are to be effective as citizens in this world, it demands that we have this unity in the gospel. Gospel unity. One love expressed in humility. And so if we are to labor together, if we're to strive, if we are to be good citizens, we must do so in a spirit of unity. But there's also the need for positivity. Note how it says, Paul says, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, this is a term for objective truth. It's not describing our faith that we believe in Christ, but rather what we believe. The faith that is once and for all delivered to the saints in Jude 3. Here, here is the body of truth that relates to the gospel. It's referring to the, the fundamentals. It's referring to the virgin birth. The resultant deity and true humanity of Christ, his sinless life, his vicarious death, his glorious resurrection, his triumphant return, the, the truth of the gospel regarding Christ. We're to strive for that. And, and the Christian church is for the gospel, for the defense of the gospel. Verse number 17 of chapter 1, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. But here... Here in verse 27, it's not so much about the defense of the gospel as it is about the propagation of the gospel. It's a positive term here. We are striving together for the advance of the faith of the gospel. We may be against much as a church, and we should be. But sometimes we define ourselves by what we're against what are you as a free Presbyterian? What are you as a Christian? Well, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not the other thing. And we define ourselves in, in negative terms. We're against ministers, we're against tongues, we're against modern versions, we're against all of these things, and that, that makes what we are. Now, these things are important. But as we define ourselves, may we not lose sight of what we actually believe, that we are patriotically for the promotion of the gospel that we are striving in this world to make much of Christ and to make Christ known. One man has said this is a, very, is a very effective quotation. He said, The early Christians did not say in dismay, look what the world has come to, but in delight, look what has come to the world. We can bury our heads in our hands and we can lament, look what's happened to the world, and we forget about what has come to the world in the gospel of Christ. If we have a burden for the nation, it, if we find ourselves with patriotic fervor at this time, we must remember that the gospel is the greatest good for this nation. And all this nation requires above all else is the further advance of the true gospel of Christ Jesus. That he came into the world to save sinners, and that if sinners are to be saved, they must repent of their sins and believe the gospel. Many of those things are lost. The exclusivity of the gospel is gone in many circles. You can be saved in many ways through many paths. 
The necessity of repentance has been altogether neglected in many circles. But we have a message for this nation. Christ died to save sinners, and they must repent of their sins and believe in Christ alone if they are to be saved. So this practical patriotism is marked by unity, it's marked by positivity, and it's marked by energy. They are to strive together. It involves effort and labor. It's uh, Olympic imagery, wrestling, striving. Oh, this will not happen if we simply sit back and do nothing. We, we can't. It's going to take the exertion of blood and sweat and tears if we were to find ourselves advancing the gospel at this time in this nation. Unity, positivity, energy, and bravery. And nothing terrified. This word is used in verse 28. It's used elsewhere for the startling of a horse. A loud noise may startle a horse and they will, they will jump in terror. You know, in a hostile world, there will be opposition for the stand of the truth. It refers in verse 29 to the matter of suffering for his sake. You know, if Christianity is simply one of a number of faiths, then no one bats an eyelid in dispute. If Christianity is happy to go along with the crowd in terms of the, the moral declension of this time, then no one will bat an eyelid. But the minute the Christian church will stand against the moral errors of the world or the theological errors, then you can be certain that there will be an increasing resistance. And there will be an advance of adversaries, an increase in those who are against a local church. And the tendency may be that we'll be terrified, we'll be fearful of our adversaries. True, true patriotism takes courage. To truly love this nation will take courage at this time. If we truly say we love those who are our neighbors in this land, we want to see America advance, then it's going to take courage because we're going to stand against the popular opinion and against the language of the majority. And in such times, we must be marked by bravery. I encourage you to think through the principles of this portion of God's Word, that your conversation be as it become with the gospel of Christ, to be a witness for Christ above all else, for this nation will be best served for those who are old-hearted in the allegiance to Christ Jesus, a united stand working together for the advance of the gospel. Amen. May God indeed bless his word. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week you will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.